going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 163 of the DFS Dose podcast, or as I'd like to call it, the first edition of the 2021 Paincast. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. And on today's show, we're going to recap our results from week two on DraftKings, reflect on some of the key decision points from the slate, and of course, close out the show by taking a look at the most interesting stats and storylines from the week. If you're new to the podcast and like what you hear, you can support us by subscribing on whatever podcast platform you use, whether that be Apple, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Podcast Addict. You can also find us on YouTube at the DFS Dose, where we produce fantasy content all week, every week, and live stream on Saturdays. We post DFS TikToks every single day of the NFL season. And finally, our Discord channel is open and available. The link to join is in the description to the podcast joey uh, i don't even know where to go with this man how how you feeling after what i think was a brutal week two yeah it was definitely a lackluster the one o'clock games were dog shit i mean i didn't even watch football yesterday but until like the chiefs game shout out to my girl but i i was looking at the stat looking at the scores and the one o'clock games sucked the four o'clock games was where you know all the action was and our cash lineup that we ran ben and i ended up on the same cash lineup which only happens like once or twice a season which is kind of you know weird because we have a very similar process but usually we have different lineups and you know sometimes like i said we do end up on the same lineup and every time that we end up on the same lineup ben (laughs) bad things happen very bad things happen. I don't you know, know what it is. I feel like but- at this point we should know better. Like if if we end up on the same lineup, we just need to be like, "All right, bro, let's let's fix this." Because yeah, like you said, once or twice per year, I think it's been successful like a grand total of zero times. No, literally. <laughs> no, I think we did win one time. I think we did one win one week, but over the three year history of this podcast, we have only won one time where we had the same lineup, and that's been like five or six times, I, I would say. Yeah, and even even beyond us having the same lineup, I think in general, like these weeks, like this week, and we talked about it on you know everything, all the content that we produced this week, it, it felt like the cash lineup built itself like the plays were Mm -hmm. so obvious and sometimes those are the biggest trap weeks it's like everybody sees the same shit it looks like it's going to be such a smash and then the dallas cowboys go from throwing 58 times to 27 and become a run heavy team and just destroy (laughs) our dreams yep and then they feature tony pollard over zeke which we'll get into later (sighs) just just a tough tough week too you know and i i think that is the biggest thing is what you said the cash lineup i felt like built itself i was very confident with this lineup mm-hmm. going in i felt like i didn't have to make any late swap decisions after the one o'clock games because we had fant who did pretty well Najee harris's chalk ended with 19 points eagles defense who both of us played i mean busted with one point but i'm pretty sure every defense busted yesterday so the lineup looked good and if it felt like a dub going into the afternoon games and then the cowboys busted Dak busted just just brutal man just absolutely brutal and we're gonna have these weeks throughout the season right where our process is good and the results just don't pan out but that's fantasy football you know game of variance that we're playing and we just got to keep up the same process because it is a winning process bad week this week uh, but i felt like we were on the right plays and shit happens you know that's that's really all i have to say 
yeah, so I mean those are those are the weeks that kill you, you know, when you when you feel like the process is right and the results just don't pan out. The lineup that you and I ran scored 115.62 points, not good enough to cash in in nearly anything. The cash line in most double ups on DraftKings was hovering around 127, 128. And the thing is, is, uh, you know, a lot of the chalk busted. Keenan Allen was lucky to get as many points as he did, getting the bonus on only four receptions. Amari Cooper, I think, was surprisingly underowned as he projected as one of the clear cut, if not the clear cut best wide receiver play on the board. He was only 20%. And, you know, ultimately, that was the decision point, I think, that cost us the week. We chose the wrong Cooper. You know, that that's really what this slate came down to. We were on Amari Cooper, but the Cooper that you needed to play was Cooper Cup, who was stone chalk, over 30%, put up a massive game, and it was really a, a no-cup, no-cash type of week on DraftKings. <laughs> yeah, he put up 39 points on DraftKings, just absolutely ridiculous. He has, what, like a 35% target share so far to start the season, and I, I felt like you did make good points about how week one might not be as sticky, and I was fine with fading cup and cash although he was a phenomenal play like I, I played him in tournaments and had some decent gpp teams um but i, I was fine going with amari cooper cd lamb and keenan allen and cash and not playing cup and he just absolutely shoved it down our throats and he's the wide receiver one on the season so far two weeks in and he yeah. looks great the rams look great stafford looks great and he, he was a, he was a great play our lineup just didn't uh, allow us to get there in hindsight maybe we could have got there if we went off of Emmanuel Sanders who both Ben and I played at 4,000 he ended up with six points if we move up from Sanders and go down from Amari Cooper we we probably could have fit cup in the lineup but it is what it is it is what it is. I don't feel too bad about that. I mean, obviously, we're going to take the information that we have now and adjust our perspective. I mean, it seems pretty clear that Cooper Cup is the wide receiver one here. I mean, I, I was very open to that being more of a week one thing and it being a back and forth situation like we've seen historically with Cooper Cup and Robert Woods, you know, trading spots as the most productive wide receiver. But it seems like Stafford and Cup have something special going on right now. Like you said, he's the wide receiver one on the season at the moment. Yeah, he's locked on to Cooper Cup. So he's going to be a great play every week. I still think he's relatively underpriced for week three, which we'll talk about later in the week. But yeah, Cooper Cup is a phenomenal player and he he looks to just be absolutely unlocked this year with Matt Stafford at the helm. Yeah. And and I mean, besides that, like we said, I didn't really have too many decision points for the week, right? Like, I mean, I guess the only other one that I considered, you know, down to the wire was Noah Fant versus Tyler Higby. You know, Higby coming off of a week where he played 100% of snaps, he did the same thing in week two. I opted to go with Noah Fant. I just think he's a more talented player and that ended up being the correct decision this week, despite playing only 77% of snaps compared to Higby who didn't come off the field at all. But I mean, I felt good about that. And then, you know, rolling with Justin Herbert over Dak turned out to be the correct call as well and Herbert ran incredibly bad. I mean, the entire Chargers offense ran incredibly bad just with penalties, a lot of them very questionable from the refs in that game. Yeah, I mean, when you have the refs literally rigging the game against you, it's hard to be good in fantasy. Justin Herbert, I think, had approximately 150 big plays called back because of penalties (laughs) in that game. So tough scene for Herbert, tough scene for the Chargers. That was a winnable game for them. He did make some mistakes in the red zone. Yeah, Uh, Just absolutely brutal run out for that. And 
you know, those extra couple of touchdowns that got called back could have been the difference for our lineup to get over the cash line if he gets those extra four to seven points, right? So just just brutal, but I think the process was still there. And, and like you said, not many decision points because the lineup ultimately made itself. We went with four wide receivers in cash with the three top guys. Uh, we went Najee, who was chalk, Chris Carson, who scored two touchdowns, but didn't have a great game other than that. And then Herbert and Noah Fant and Higby was a great play. Right. Yeah, definitely. And he just ran bad. So if you if you played Higby, don't don't feel too bad about that. You can never go wrong playing a forty one hundred dollar tight end that is on one hundred percent of the snaps. Like bad results week. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, you see some of the most sharp DFS players out there talking about having the worst weeks of their DFS career. So I, I feel like if the sharpest people out there are busting, I'm glad that I busted too. It means the process is is right. <laughs> yeah, and I mean it's just it's just one week, right? It's a it's a long season, and over the course of eighteen weeks, I think we we figure to be profitable in in more weeks than not. So, yep, take um, the L's on the chin. Absolutely, man. Let's get into some of the interesting stats and storylines from the week. And what was a pretty joyless weekend of football? The one tiny bright spot is that it's finally happening for Tony Pollard. And and the beautiful thing about this is that it's happening for Pollard without a Zeke injury, which just makes it all the sweeter. Tony Pollard came out 13 attempts for 109 yards and a touchdown plus three for 31 receiving. He was more productive than Zeke on fewer touches. And I mean, God, like the difference between the way these two players just look on the field is stark right now pollard looks amazing tony pollard he looked more explosive looked better after the run looked better after the catch and he's finally carved himself a role in the cowboys offense and maybe that was predictable seeing the end of last season when tony pollard started to get on the field more and now i think we're nearing a full even split in that backfield in terms of touches right zeke had 18 tony pollard had 16 and i think tony pollard honestly he he might be better for that Cowboys offense at this point in their careers. Like I, like I said, he just looks like the better running back when both of them are getting touches and getting out there. And that was the case at the end of last season as well. So, I mean, we'll have to see moving forward. It's going to be hard to start Tony Pollard, especially in redraft, just because of that timeshare. You don't know if he'll ever take a backseat to Zeke, which could happen any week. So, I don't know. It, it, it's hard to start him. But it's going to be hard not to start a player on one of the best offenses in the NFL that that might get 13 to 15 touches per week. Yeah, I I saw some speculation, um, and and I don't know, this is like above my mental capacity, but people are speculating that Michael Gallup's injury is actually contributing to Tony Pollard and that the Cowboys probably feel more confident putting their electric RB2 out on the field than depending more heavily on Cedric Wilson or either of the tight ends. I mean, do you think there's any credence to that and that Michael Gallup's return could make it a more one running back sort of scheme? They're not going to be running too many two RB sets out when Gallup returns. I mean, how do you feel about that theory? I mean, it makes sense because ultimately you want your best players on the field and Tony Pollard looks to be one of their best offensive players. Like he's for sure better than Cedric Wilson, Dalton Mm -hmm. Schultz, and Blake Jarwin in the passing game, right? So you want to get touches to him and obviously they want to give touches to Zeke as well. So 
I definitely think Gallup being out matters, but we saw in week one that that uh, Zeke and Pollard were both playing on the field together. I just think the Cowboys want to give him a bigger role in, you know, they're doing that to start the season this year. And if he keeps producing, I, I don't see why they would change their mind. While we're on the subject of surprising running back usage, let's talk about the big dog, Derrick Henry. Look, the man's incredible. We all know that. He's the third running back in the last decade to have more than one 50 plus point game on DraftKings. <laughs> he is so incredible that going 35 for 182 and three on the ground isn't even shocking. Side note here, I, I from PFF, 160 of 182 total rushing yards for Henry in this game was after contact. He was hit at the one yard line or behind the line of scrimmage on 26 out of his 35 carries, which is just absolutely absurd. This man is a beast. We know that. But in addition to being a monster in the run game, we're seeing something new from Derrick Henry. In week two, he caught six out of six targets for 55 yards receiving. Six catches is a career high for King Henry. He's got 10 targets through two weeks, nine receptions. This man has more receptions than A.J. Brown two weeks into the season, just like we all thought. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, that that is very surprising. <laughs> that is very surprising, but it's definitely encouraging to see Henry out there on passing downs and still getting fed in negative game scripts. And I hope this continues because that will make him more viable on DraftKings specifically, you know, full PPR site. And the thing, the thing with me and, and what I always say is pretty much every running back can catch passes. It's just a matter of will their coach allow them to stay on the passing downs. And Derrick Henry has never played on passing downs, right? He's always ceded that to somebody, whether that be Deion Lewis or Darrington Evans when he's healthy with Darrington Evans on IR and he'll be out next week as well. Derrick Henry is playing on passing games ahead, ahead of Jeremy McNichols and he's capitalizing on it. And the, the thing is, is why not? get one of the best running backs in the NFL some catches right get him out in space get him some screens get him some quick targets and he'll make something out of it like he was efficient on his receiving work uh six catches 55 yards and if he can keep that up he's just going to smash again this year and Derrick Henry I mean he's just a dog man like <laughs> there, there's nothing that needs to be said about this man he's he's just great and I'm pretty sure like 140 of the 182 yards came in like the third quarter on, which which is also incredible. Yeah, it was it was a slow start, but I mean, Derrick Henry is like a walking long touchdown. Just wait. Yeah, to just get him. So the, just get him the ball. Like <laughs> no matter how you do it, if you throw it to him, hand it off to him, just get him the ball and he could break a touchdown at any given moment he's just that good yep you know the departure of arthur smith i think has all in all negatively been impacting the titans offense through two weeks but this development is certainly encouraging and i think it gives derrick henry's ceiling which i mean was already one of if not the highest in the league right now uh, a completely new category so definitely looking forward to seeing if this continues with derrick henry this one's sort of a weird running back story. According to Mike Clay of ESPN on Twitter, there have been 266 red zone rushing attempts through the first two weeks of the NFL season, and the Jags have zero of them, the only team in the league to not have a single rushing attempt inside the 20-yard line of the opposing team. Is J-Rob chalked? Yeah, probably. I mean, they've only been in the red zone once, period. <laughs> so that's... Not I mean, the, the team is just bad right now. Obviously, rookie quarterbacks are going to struggle early into their first year, and Trevor Lawrence has been struggling. He put up a dud against the Broncos, but that is a tough matchup against one of the better defenses in the NFL, and 
the Jags schedule lightens up. I think J-Rob is still in play. Like if you have him in fantasy, obviously you have to start him. They play the Cardinals, which should be a decent scoring game. Then they play the Bengals. Then they play the Titans. So they have a run of, you know, three positive matchups for Trevor Lawrence and the rest of the offense. So it's concerning. But James Robb looked to have taken the reins away from Carlos Hyde in week two, um, mm-hmm. out snapping him by a bunch and out touching him as well. So that's encouraging, but he's on one of the worst offenses in the NFL that isn't going to score much. So, I mean, he, he's like a he's like a low floor, low ceiling running back play every single week, I think. Yeah, and we're going to talk about injuries at the end of the show. There were a ton in week two. One of the impactful ones, I think, was LaVisca Chanel, and the way that people are going to sort of like adapt to projecting this offense, I think they might put more of the target share towards Marvin and more of it towards DJ Chark, but I think that's incorrect because neither of them really play a role at all similar to what LaVisca Chanel does if Chanel is to miss a significant amount of time. I think that if anything, it boosts James Robinson's outlook as a pass catcher, which could salvage his value. I mean, he has nine targets through the first two weeks. And if that goes up because, you know, he's absorbing some of which Chenault leaves behind, it could salvage his value a bit. No, yeah, that makes sense. And like you said, we'll we'll talk about Visca's injury later, but he he should see a boost in targets and touches with one of the trio out uh, for a couple weeks or however long Visca is going to be out. So Now, this story could fit the blueprint for a surprising story, but if you guys listened to the podcast last week, you would not be surprised by this. There was some concern out there about Austin Eckler's role in the Chargers offense after being held without a target in week one. We told you not to panic. We told you that we know what Eckler can do in the passing game, and we saw that come to fruition this week. He caught nine out of his nine targets for 61 yards receiving Eckler back to being one of the best pass catching backs in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, that that was very predictable, right? Week one was an outlier week where he had zero targets, but we know what he can do in the passing game and nine targets against the Cowboys. He he should be around six to seven targets, I would assume, per game. He's like their third best pass catcher uh, behind Keenan and Mike Will. So he, he's he's going to get targeted, not concerned about Austin Eckler in. I don't think there was ever a need to be concerned. Do you have any concern about former season-long eighth-round pick Marquez Callaway, who has, to this point, (laughs) put up three receptions for 22 yards on the season? Yeah, I mean, if you were drafting Marquez Callaway in the eighth round in best ball, and say, let's say you drafted him in like the ninth or 10th round in redraft, you might have to uh, find a new hobby there. I mean, (laughs) one of the easiest fades. We, We didn't actually know if he was a talented wide receiver besides two plays in the preseason, which boosted his ADP up like five rounds. The Saints offense obviously isn't going to be as good as it was with the loss of Michael Thomas, Jared Cook, and some other guys. And just very predictable, I think. And obviously he can turn it around, but I'm just glad I didn't draft much of Marquez Callaway at his elevated price tag. And we were kind of on it in week one, like, you know, this guy might not be good. I I think we talked about that and that's definitely a concern. And, you know, maybe he is good and maybe he's just not getting the opportunity. But as it stands right now, he's one of the biggest busts in fantasy football this season so far. So, yeah, I mean, I I think that it could be between him and Brandon Ayuk, price tag included. Yeah, Brandon Ayuk is probably number one. Fuck Brandon Ayuk. But I'll, I'll love him when he comes back, though. 
So should we have been more bullish on Cortland Sutton at 5,200 on DraftKings this week post Judy injury? I mean, I I think that a lot of the reports gave us some fair hesitation, but Cortland Sutton, he's been a great player in the past and it was really just a matter of the targets. After only having an 8% target share in week one, we were concerned and that shifted to a massive 35% target share in week two. He caught nine out of 12 targets for 159 yards looking pretty healthy, looking pretty dominant. I I think Cortland Sutton might be back. Yeah, I mean, he probably is back. He probably needed this game, like, just from a mental standpoint like he, he needed this great game against mm-hmm. a terrible defense to to fully realize like okay I can trust my knee again and do everything that I was doing before and I didn't watch the game but his stat line is definitely encouraging and I, I think the only other real threat for targets in that offense is Noah Fant as it stands right now I mean Tim Patrick and KJ Hamler are like solid role players, but they're not going to command a 18 to 20% target share. So there's definitely room for Cortland Sutton to grow in this offense without Jerry Judy, who suffered a high ankle sprain. He should be out for a while. So he, he looks like the alpha wide receiver one, but then again, everybody looks good against the Jags. So we'll have to wait and see if this continues. Cortland Sutton, his stat line was encouraging. And I mean, Teddy Bridgewater is playing lights out so far. So I, I think the Broncos made the right decision to go with Bridgewater over Drew Locke and they're 2-0 and atop the AFC West. So shout out to Denver. Yeah. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater, surprisingly good. I think to some people, he's got 592 yards and four touchdowns through two games, 8.5 yards per attempt, four to zero touchdown interception ratio. And yeah, we will have to see, you know, how this holds against a better team, but we're not going to have to see that next week as the Denver Broncos will be hosting the New York Jets. So I think Cortland Sutton is going to be a great play next week. And I'm sure we'll talk about that on the podcast. Yep. All right, man. You know what? Let's take some L's. I think, I think that, you know, we're right about some things. We're wrong about some things. It's going to happen. And and I'll start off. I'm going to take an L on a player that I faded fully throughout the best ball season, throughout redraft, so far throughout DFS. Might have to adjust my perspective after this. But Rondell Moore, a.k.a. Scott Lang, a.k.a. Ant-Man, is leading the Arizona Cardinals skill position players in targets through two weeks, which to me, absolutely absurd. But his performance yesterday was undeniable. Seven for 114 and one. Team high eight targets, despite only playing on 46% of snaps. This man is second in yards per route run in the NFL. Rondale Moore, this dude might actually be the truth. He looks to be, you know, an explosive pass catcher, which is kind of what his profile indicated coming out of college. And, you know, I wasn't on like the the fade Rondale Moore train. I just didn't really take much of him, but it, it wasn't like an effort for me to to not take him. I, I think I ended with like 5% Rondale Moore in basketball and he, he looks good. And I mean, it's just a, it's just a matter of like, you, you got to get your best players, the ball and it. And if Rondale Moore is this explosive and this good, he's going to get opportunity and it's going to increase as the season goes on. Obviously he's not going to lead the Arizona skill position guys in targets, you know, when it's all said and done, but he's probably going to get five to six targets a week. And I think he'll make the most out of it. He, he looks to be good. So shout out to Rondale Moore. Shout out to Rondale. I don't, I don't, think that the Cardinals are going to be able to justify playing AJ Green and Christian Kirk over him for much longer if he continues to look this good. Any L's that you would like to take? Good sir. Oh god. You got to do it. I got to publicly take this L on one of the biggest L's that I've ever had so far. 
Hopefully that changes as the season goes on. But <laughs> Tyler Lockett is the wide receiver two in fantasy football right now after two games. He's looked absolutely incredible with Russell Wilson. Jesus, man. He's just shoving it down my throat right now. Just shoving my Tyler Lockett fade, all of my Tyler Lockett rants, all the YouTube clips where people are going to go back after his first two games and just absolutely obliterate us in the comments. God, he he's just he's just killing me right now. Faded him. He's been going off. DK Metcalf has been a non-factor pretty much, so I think that'll change over the next couple of weeks. But as of right now, I, I accept my huge L on Tyler Lockett, and not much really else needs to be said. I, I am accepting my L. I was wrong yeah. so far. I mean, Tyler Lockett looks legitimately uncoverable. It, it also could be matchup-based. Something I'm going to be keeping an eye on is, you know, what the Colts are giving up in the slot. You know, that's what Cooper Cup dominated last week. That's what Tyler Lockett dominated in week one. We could have... One of our favorite topics, the slot funnel to target all, all year round against the Colts. But I mean, just absolutely uncoverable. Lockett went eight for 178 and one yesterday, Jesus 11 targets. Christ. Metcalf also had 11 targets. So, he, I mean, he was involved. It's just he, Metcalf isn't the one catching the 63 yard touchdown deep shot. I mean, the play was wide open. The Titans defensive backs were horrible in this game, getting obliterated by by Lockett all, all game long. So I don't know, man. I mean, I wasn't as publicly hateful towards Tyler Lockett as you were, you know, calling him like a beta virgin cuck and, and stuff. But I was definitely on the fade Tyler Lockett train. My best my best ball shares for, for Tyler Lockett are slim. N- not optimal for a player who's the wide receiver two in PPR through two weeks. <laughs> definitely not optimal. <laughs> oh God. Oh um, my God. That what a what a what a L but like I said, I, I expect it to change. He's not going to put up one fifty every single week. So some down weeks are coming for Tyler Lockett, especially since those deep shots could easily go to DK Metcalf, and I think they will eventually. So let's hope so. I got to double um, down. I had to. <laughs> All right, uh, we'll we'll close out the show just covering some of the injuries. I mean, injuries were a huge part of week two, and we've got some major ones really at every position. A lot of quarterbacks went down, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But I think the obvious injury that we're going to be waiting to find out the status of is Dalvin Cook, who is battling an ankle sprain. Uh, Vikings head coach described it as a little ankle sprain. I, I don't really know what that means. I mean, isn't an ankle sprain kind of an ankle sprain? But, you know, on DraftKings specifically for DFS purposes, last year, something we saw DK do and change is that they would preemptively price up running backs who could be shot into starting roles. You know, in the past, a guy like Alexander Madison would be 4K and then be 80% owned if Dalvin Cook misses this upcoming week. That is no longer the case. It wasn't the case last year, and that trend is going to continue. Alexander Madison priced up to 6K well before we have uh, any information on Dalvin Cook's status. Yeah, and, and rightfully so, because Madison would become the workhorse if Dalvin were to miss this week three game. So shout out to DraftKings for doing that. But I feel like Delvin misses a game or two every single season. And for the for the last couple of years, he's he's been fine other than those couple of games. So I'm not too worried about Delvin Cook. Obviously, great player, great running back, great fantasy player. So yeah, I mean, Mad- Madison definitely gets a boost without Cook, though. But I will say we've seen plenty of times Alexander Madison busting 
when he's chalk if Cook were to miss this game. So that that will be def- definitely something to discuss for our week three breakdown. Yeah, it's going to be hard not to play him just looking ahead at a 6K price tag against a Seattle team that just surrendered over 200 yards to Derrick Henry. But like you said, there have been similar spots in the past and Madison hasn't uh, capitalized on the upside that we thought he had. You know, transitioning to quarterback injuries, there were a ton, you know, Tua got knocked out with a rib injury early in the game. Jacoby Brissett played most of the snaps for the Dolphins at quarterback. Tyrod Taylor got injured after, you know, looking pretty good once again early in in week two, but he's already been ruled out. Andy Dalton has a knee injury that's supposedly been confirmed to not be too serious. And Carson Wentz has two ankle sprains. Both of his ankles messed up. Um, you know, <laughs> what, what do you think about these quarterback injuries? Which ones do you view as most impactful? I think ov- the obvious answer would be Andy Dalton. Yeah, definitely Andy Dalton because that opens the door for Justin Fields to start in week three. And he's also pretty cheap on DraftKings. And I think he will be in cash game consideration. And I think if Justin Fields gets some games under his belt without Andy Dalton, it's going to be hard to go back to Dalton. But I will say, some reporters asked Matt Nagy if Andy Dalton is like still the starter when healthy and he confirmed that he is so that's kind of unfortunate but I think that could change if Fields plays well in you know this one or two games he he might have to take the reins from Dalton so that's definitely most impactful but other than that I mean Tua Jesus he he looks he looks bad dude um Carson Wentz also looks bad so I mean you shouldn't have been playing these guys either way especially in season long there there's better options out there I think yep and just to name a few I mean if you were playing these guys like relying on these guys for your season long leagues it's probably chalked for you anyways but I mean, you could improve your lineup. Derek Carr, who's having a great start to the season, is only 26% owned on Yahoo League. Sam Darnold is only 15%. Just some uh, some some season-long mm-hmm. tips for the people out there who might need some quarterback help. Running back position, man. RIP to the aggressive fab bros out there who blew their entire load on Elijah Mitchell. <laughs> he was one of three San Francisco running backs to get injured this week. All of them. Sermon, Hasty, Mitchell. Mostert's already out for the year. What the hell is in the San Francisco water? Like, what kind of conditioning are these running back coaches giving these guys up in San Fran? <laughs> yeah, and then include Jeff Wilson in there, too, who's on IR right now. Oh, yeah, so I forgot they, about that. They've had five running backs get hurt. I will say, from what I read, Mitchell did come back into the game after getting hurt. If I'm not mistaken, I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. Sermon left the game, and I think Hasty left the game as well. So that could just open the door for Mitchell to be a complete workhorse in week three if he is the only running back left. And he was the clear cut RB1 yesterday against the Eagles. It was a tough matchup, you know, going across the country for an early afternoon game. I, I think Mitchell would would still be the guy in week three, but they're they're gonna call up Carry on Johnson from the practice squad. Um, but we know that carry on is not good at football and I don't know if we know that he he's not relevant. So it it looks like Mitchell is the top guy, but honestly, if you're playing in season long, Jeff Wilson, if you can stash him on your IR would probably be a good pickup because he won't take up a roster spot for you until like week seven. 
and he could easily come back and be the RB1 above all of these guys. Like he has familiarity with the system. He's been a top dog before when Mostert went down uh, last season for a couple games. So Jeff Wilson is, is probably a great stash and redraft right now if your league has ir spots that is yep i i would definitely agree with that i mean god trey sermon gets a concussion on his first nfl carry you hate to see it i would say like even more impactful than the san francisco running back injuries was daryl henderson we don't know how serious this injury is going to be you know obviously injury concern is something that we've had with daryl henderson obviously we don't like to label guys injury prone but even i mean uh, let's be real even sean mcveigh is labeled (laughs) daryl henderson injury yeah so let's call a spade a spade here this man gets hurt every year and yeah we don't like using the term injury prone but the man has durability issues. I think we could say that. He gets hurt every fucking year, man. Yeah. Like, I don't understand. Any- He's a good running back when healthy. And he, sh- he showed that over these last two weeks. Like, he can be productive on 15, 20 touches. It's just this dude is fragile as fuck, bruh. Yeah, I mean, he aver- he's been averaging over four yards per attempt in both games. He's got two touchdowns, a touchdown in each game. You know, he was looking good. He was dominating snaps. Tony Michelle didn't have a snap until he went down. It looked like he was going to be on pace to be one of the, the team leaders uh, in snap percentage. Once again, we don't know how serious the injury is going to be. Jake Funk was out there on third downs, but didn't get a touch. I think Sony Michelle figures to have a pretty big role. You know, how, how do you envision this? playing out would you have any interest in sony obviously next week going against tampa bay is going to be an insanely tough spot i don't think that sony will be in play yeah sony is definitely not in play next week especially on DraftKings. but he is 4900 just a quick little sneak peek so he is cheap but yeah just unfortunate henderson got hurt sony michelle should become the rb1 now right uh, they traded a fourth round pick for him, and he should be involved in the offense. It's a tough spot for him next week, but if Henderson were to miss a good amount of time, I think Sony Michelle would be a locked and loaded like RB two in terms of redraft, and he would have some uh, DFS potential as well. So definitely, I mean, it, it's a good thing that the running back that the Rams decided to trade to back up Henderson doesn't have any dur- durability concerns, you know. <laughs> So, I mean, Sony Michelle's been healthy, though. That's the thing. That boy got knees like Todd Gurley. <laughs> hey, that that was that was early in his career, you know, coming out of college, had a couple knee surgeries, but he's been healthy, rel- well, relatively healthy over the last couple of seasons. He should be fine, but if Sony were to go down, I mean, they, they would have to go look on free agency and pick up a running back because i don't think they would play jake funk we had a trio of fantasy relevant wide receivers go down jarvis landry lavisca chanel and glass bones deontay johnson with a meaningless <laughs> final play for the steelers uh you know which of these do you think is most impactful for fantasy at the moment um most impactful i think that would probably be deontay johnson just mm-hmm. because some of the other guys in that offense are fantasy relevant right now. Juju, Chase Claypool, Najee Harris out of the backfield. I think more touches get spread around to those guys if Deontay were to miss any time. But god damn, this man is the definition of fragile. Yeah, he he doesn't really miss that many games, but he, he misses plays a lot. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> he gets god hurt damn. in every game. 
I don't understand, but yeah, so I think Deontay would be the most impactful. Honestly, I think LaVisca would probably be the second most just because Chark and Marvin Jones are probably getting started quite a bit in redraft, yeah. and those targets that LaVisca had uh, should get spread around to DJ Chark and Marvin Jones. They don't really have anybody else that's going to factor in the passing game. They don't even have like a tight end. So Chark gets a boost. Marvin Jones gets gets a boost if Visca misses time. And I mean, his stat line, which we didn't mention, was nuts. He had seven targets and negative three yards. <laughs> yeah, I, I would have put it in stats and storylines, man. But I just, you know, he's already injured. You know, I don't I don't want to pile on the poor guy. I mean, <laughs> but come on, bro. Negative three yards on seven targets. Like, why was I drafting you in the seventh round every trip? What are we doing? But I, I think that was, I mean, obviously not negative three yards being predictable, but it was predictable that they were going to use him, you know, close to the line of scrimmage as like the short area guy. And then Marvin Jones and DJ Chark would be kind of like the deeper threat wide receivers, I think. And Visca had two catches on seven targets. So bad day for him. But getting negative receiving yards is actually impressive in my book. Yeah, no, it definitely is. And that, and then just speaking to the Jarvis Landry injury, we don't really know uh, how long Visca is going to be out for. We don't know if Deontay Johnson is actually going to miss time, but Jarvis Landry, it was an MCL. He's week to week at the moment. You know, Landry's been an incredibly durable player. I think he's only missed one game in his career up to this point. An absolute Iron Man out there, but, you know, he's week to week. And I think the Browns just desperately need OBJ back because, you know, Peoples Jones. Anthony Schwartz, the tight ends, they're not giving them what they need through the passing game. Luckily, they have an amazing run game to to hold the offense over. But moral of the story is they really need Odell Beckham Jr. back, who surprisingly, again, was ruled out in week two. Yeah, they just need the talent on the field, right? They they need Odell's talent to just be a presence for the Browns offense. So they definitely need him back. The other wide receivers just ain't it. You know, they're they're not gonna factor in as much. The tight ends should get work if OBJ were to miss in, in week three. I don't know if they're on the main slate or whatever. Haven't really looked, but Austin Hooper should get a boost and even David Njoku and the running backs as well. So we'll have to see about that. But yeah, the Browns definitely need Odell back out on the field. And if he's cheap and they're on the main slate, he he might be in consideration as literally the only pass catcher in Cleveland. All Although they probably won't pass, you know, as much as we would like. They are on the main slate and he is 5,300 at home against Chicago. So we'll, we'll have to see how that goes. That could definitely be an enticing play. Yep. But that is going to be it for episode 163 of the DFS Dose podcast. Make sure you guys follow us on Twitter at the DFS Dose, as well as our personal Twitters. I'm at Ben Harvard. Joey's at Joey Carey and DFS. We'll be back on Thursday with a first look at the week three NFL DFS slate. For more NFL DFS content, check out our YouTube channel at the DFS Dose, where we produce multiple videos per week live stream on Saturdays. You can also connect with us for free in our Discord channel. The link to do so is in the show notes to this podcast. If you're listening out there, man, we appreciate you. We value you. Until next time, let's stay accountable and keep it authentic. Vibes. Vibes.